Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Just as, uh, as, as people sit down, I just want to say that us long table team, we're still riding high after Friday night, so we did six courses for 60 people. We are available for bookings for events, so if you've got a wedding, a dedication, funerals, bar mitzvahs, contact us, we'll be all over it. We might not be all over it in a month's time, but for today, we're, we're still pretty pumped. Um, okay, I have uh, the privilege this morning of following... Dave started last week our new series, Liberated by Love, Encounters with Jesus and the Gospel. And he, he spoke about Mary and Elizabeth and the waiting. And then he spoke about the incarnation of, of the beautiful one. <laughs> um, and this morning, my passage is uh, from Luke 5, 12 to 16. And we'll come to it later. Jesus cleanses a leper. Um, It happens right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, so I think it's quite a significant story, and I wonder why it's placed there, and we'll come to that. But I wanted to talk a little bit, just as we start, about what leprosy was like at the time of Jesus' ministry. So leprosy kind of covers a range of skin diseases, but what it meant was that you were unclean, and in that time, you were separated from your family, You were separated from your community, and you certainly couldn't go to synagogue. You usually lived way out in the caves. Your family might have came and given you food and left it at the door, and then they quickly ran away. So you were lonely. It was a physical disease that started on the inside. It ended up with you might have lost a limb. um, It eventually killed you and you lived alone. So it had physical and psychological impact. And I find that quite startling, the thought of not living with my family and living remote. And then I got curious. I spent Thursday afternoon with Ruth, who's sitting at the back beside Gillian, and she comes from the south of India. And we were chatting, we were preparing food, and we were talking. And I asked her about leprosy in her country. Because what is leprosy like in 2023? And I found it completely startling what she told me. Because the themes are the same 2,000 plus years later. And so what she told me was that she used to volunteer at the leprosy mission, um, a, a charity run by Christians. She dealt with people who had leprosy every day. And they were cared for in kind of the same way that we managed COVID. Full PPE, behind plastic, no touch, no human connection, barrier after barrier after barrier. And what she was telling me was that it continues to be an illness. And because it starts on the inside and you don't actually know you have it, by the time you seek help, it's probably too late and you die of it. But it is a completely treatable disease. And in this day and age, people are dying of treatable diseases because they don't know about it, they don't have the money to access support, they can't help. 
So the Leprosy Mission is doing phenomenal work, and if I could encourage you to give to that and look at their work, it's amazing. But she was also saying that when you have le- if I had leprosy, my children, my husband, my family would kind of be tainted by it, and people would avoid us, wouldn't want to be with us, and would keep apart. And so she told me, she wrote down, she didn't want to come to the front. I wanted to interview her, but she was having none of it. So she very kindly wrote me a story, and I'm going to read it to you now. It's the story of AJ, and this is in 2022. When AJ was only 15 years old, leprosy changed his life. He discovered a strange spot on his skin. He thought it would disappear with time, but it only got worse. After a while, he also lost sensitivity in his hands and his feet. His family and the other villagers kept him at a distance. They kept staring at his deformed hands and feet. They were afraid that they too would become affected. His mother was the only one who didn't mind touching him and caring for him. And then very sadly, suddenly his mother died. He didn't know what he was going to do without her. Everyone else loathed his presence. Hmm loathed his presence. There was not a soul willing to help him. He felt so helpless and lonely that he decided to leave his village. And after all of that, he was scared of what lay ahead of him. Time went past. His wife, son, and he now live in an isolated life at the colony, together with about 30 other families. He barely has the money to provide for his family. Every day he tries to collect a few rupees begging, He doesn't have any other choice. Because of his deformities, no one wants to employ him. And his greatest worry is that the future of his 13-year-old son. His son doesn't have leprosy, but he faces the discrimination all the same. There's a chance he will never get married. People don't want the child of a person affected by leprosy in their lives. When one person gets leprosy and people get afraid of the whole family... They say that you all have this horrible disease. They may not show it openly, but they will be afraid in their hearts. The person suffers. My brothers and sisters continue to suffer. They didn't do anything. And she ends this story with this quote from her culture, which I think is startling. The rotten sweet potato spoils the yam. The sweet potato is rotten. The yam isn't rotten. But because of the sweet potato, the yam is now affected. And I found it so humbling to hear her experience and to know that what is happening. And so it, when I thought of what she told me, I've represented it well, have I, Ruth? Oh, good, she's given me a nod, good. But I suppose I was thinking, we read these stories in the Bible and we think that was back then. This is now. This is now. And I want us this morning to think about leprosy. I want us to think, like leprosy, there's stuff in all of us that starts on the inside and is slowly killing us. So we might not have leprosy, but there is stuff that goes on in all of our lives, and that's where I want us to go this morning, if we can go there together. So I want to come back to the story as it's told in the Gospels. I want to look at the, the story is told in Matthew chapter 8, and I want to look at the context of that. Jesus has just come off the mountains. He's starting his ministry. He's been teaching the Beatitudes, and he's talking about the ways of Jesus 
the last verse of the chapter of Matthew 8 says, there was no question of his authority. People knew exactly who he was because of his teaching and his ways. And then suddenly, he heals a man with leprosy. And the suggestion is that in doing this, whilst his spoken word, and they saw that he was no longer like the scribes or a rabbi they'd ever heard of, they then saw him heal the man that was unclean. Totally startling. And I want to read where we're reading the tale that it's told in Luke chapter 5. It'll come up behind me, 12 to 16. Just before this, in the first, chap- in the first verses of Luke, the fishermen, it's when Jesus called the fishermen. And I think just like in Matthew, it's placed when he came off the mountain and everyone knew his authority. In Luke, he places it when he's called his disciples. So regular fishermen, poor men who spent all night trying to fish and not a fish was caught. Jesus comes and says to them, put the nets back in. And because they no longer questioned his authority, they decided to throw the nets back in and they were overwhelmed. And I reckon there's a beautiful principle in that these men were just doing their day-to-day work. They were fishing. And the lo- they were fishing, they were being faithful. And when the Lord got involved and said, put your nets back in, they were overwhelmed. And it got me thinking this morning about when was the last time that I saw the Lord work in my life or in the life of someone I love and I stood in awe. I'm just doing my every day. I'm just doing my stuff. And suddenly I invite him in and I'm left in awe and wonder. And I want you to think about that this week because I talk to so many people and they want to find the one thing that the Lord is calling them to. They want to find the one thing that is their thing. And I am not sure that's waste. I think that's a waste of energy. Do what is in front of you and trust the Lord. And when you invite him in, you will stand in awe and wonder. I am convinced of it. So let's read this passage. Whilst he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So what I want to just point out as we read that, this is the man, he... There's no question at this point in the gospel stories of the authority of Jesus. They've heard him, they know him, they've seen him. But now this guy's kind of questioning and wondering about the will, the character of Jesus. He knows you can, I, I know you can heal me. I know you can make me clean, but will you? So he's questioning the character of Jesus here. And Jesus says, I will be clean. And so the reason he's sent to the priest is because We'll come to the unclean and clean bit in a second. But in that day and in that culture, the priest was the one that could pronounce you clean. 
So as long as you were unclean, you couldn't go to the synagogue, you couldn't be with your family, and there was rules about that, and we can come to that. But it was the priest was the administrator. So Jesus was saying to him, I have restored you physically, but now I want you to go to the priest and be restored psychologically. You can go back to your community, you can go to the synagogue, you can be with your family. So that is why Jesus sent him to go and get the proof, because that was needed in that day. Jesus healed his physical and ensured that he became a full and accepted member of his community. It was a radical act of compassion and love from Jesus. So he didn't just heal his physical. He said, go back, get sorted legally and in your community and be fully accepted. What a beautiful Lord. So we could stop there and we could say, wow, the invitation is to touch what we consider unclean. The invitation is to invite all. The invitation is to live out of compassion. But I think we miss something deeper in this story if we don't go in and understand how the Jewish culture would have heard this story at that time because this is the radical part of the story of God. This is where the story of God that started at the beginning is told in the Bible by Genesis is now moving to a whole new era with with the Lord coming and being alive. So I want to go back to Leviticus 11, 44 to 45. It will come up behind me. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. For I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy. For I am holy. So let's think about that. The man asks Jesus to make him clean. The, Greek, the Hebrew word is not for healing, it is for clean. And that was important in that culture. So if we think of this, what, what the rules of engagement, if you like, the promises of God as shown in Leviticus. The family of Abraham were the ones that were chosen. Abraham, at the beginning of the Bible, was to be the family from whom Eden would be restored. Eden was planned. We were all to live in communion with each other and with the world. We sinned. We lost that plan. And the Lord was determined to restore it. And he restored it through Abraham. Moses led the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, to the promised land. And at this point in the game, if you like, God plants his personal presence in the middle of the family of Abraham. So the tabernacle where the presence of the Lord was, was to be carried with them, and it was holy, sacred ground. So from the very beginning, the plan of the Lord was to live amongst us, and he was holy, and our call was to be holy as he was holy. So the tabernacle was carried, you'll know the stories, we don't need to go over them, but the Lord lived in the middle of them, and he was set apart and holy, and and ceremonially clean. We in this culture think clean and unclean is about sin and about wrong. It wasn't. It was a fact of life. 
People got messy when they touched a dead body, when sexual fluids escaped, and when they had a skin disease. Those were the three rules. We can go into all of that one day in numbers, but we haven't enough time today. It was a fact of life. It wasn't about sin. So when you hear this idea, make me clean, we can put on to that, oh, that's about sinful stuff. It's not. It was simply part of the circle of life. The rules of the New Old Testament were that if you touched a dead body and those other things that happened, skin was different. That kept you out until you were made clean. But the other two things were about when death comes into, cannot be allowed to come into the Holy of Holies and touch the giver of life. But if I had prepared a body for burial, the rules were that I took seven days, I washed, and I was back in. So this was never about sin or, or defiling or wrongdoing. So let's be clear on that. God has called us to be holy like him. So it was a part of life, there was rules. Numbers five, to, numbers five one to four, if you want to look up. Skin diseases, death, sexual fluids. And the idea was that we cannot bring what is equivalent of death to the giver of life. That was all it was about. Isaiah further develops this beautiful story about how the Lord wants to live amongst us and calls us to holiness. And it'll come behind me now, hopefully. Isaiah 6. We're not going to read the whole way through it because we're moving through our time. But this dream that Isaiah got, this was his commission from the Lord. And basically the summary that you need to take away from it is that Isaiah had this dream and he saw the Lord, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And he thought, I haven't done the rituals. I am not clean. So if I come to you, I am going to bring my uncleanliness to you, to the Lord. And what the Lord says in this prophecy is, the coals from the fire will touch your lips. You won't mess me up. I will cleanse you. Whoever you are, you won't mess Jesus up. He will cleanse you. And this is a phenomenal act where the coal is taken from the altar of the Lord. Isaiah's left there thinking, I'm going to defile the altar of the Lord. No, the altar of the Lord cleanses him and welcomes him in that your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned forever. That is life-changing. And the story that we then move into is in Matthew, where, or in Luke, whatever one you want to look at, Jesus, the, the leper will have been worried that if you touch me, I'm going to defile you. And now Jesus, as the embodiment of the Lord, as the embodiment of Emmanuel, of God on earth, he shows this man by the simple act of touch, no, you won't change me. I will change you. I will heal you. I will make you clean. And you will be like me, holy. The opposite happens of what we think. The embodiment of Isaiah's dream told here now comes. Jesus is not defiled. The man is healed. And further to that, Jesus sends him to the temple to be freed and to tell the priests 
Holiness is not kept in the temple. Holiness is where the Lord is. Holiness is where the followers of Jesus is. That, if we really imbibe that idea, we'll want to spend a lot less time in here and a lot more time out there. Because that is where the Lord is. We carry him, we are him. And this morning, I'm going to put a a question behind us. What is my leprosy? Because you can read a story about Jesus healing a man with leprosy and you can think, I'm not really sure what that has to do with me. Because I'm thankful I don't have it. But I want you to think for a moment this morning and this week, what, what is killing me from the inside out? What do I keep hidden? What goes on in my heart? What goes on in my mind and my behavior and my relationships that actually is starting to kill me? And it keeps me from sharing who I am. It keeps me from living in community. It keeps me from connecting with others. What is my leprosy? And I've been asking myself that this week as I've thought about this, this preach. And I, I think I would boldly say that for most of us, shame is the leprosy that we carry. I've taught on shame before. I could teach on it all day because I find it is one of the... I consider it the, the greatest strategy of the enemy to keep us bound and to keep us silent. I want to put this quote behind us. Bessel van der Kolk. Every baby comes into the world looking for someone, looking for them, and this never changes. And what happens is we were born and we were wired neurobiologically for connection, and that never changes. But very often what happens is that either because of what we've done or what has been done to us, shame takes root in our soul and we refuse to take a risk and connect with others. And shame is toxic and demonic. If you live under a shame narrative, you'll be proud and defensive. You'll be guarded and protective. You'll always focus on the positives. You'll be easily offended. You'll spend a lot more time thinking about others and their flaws. And you're always the first to give your opinion. You will keep people at a distance. And you'll always have to be right. You'll blame others and you'll rarely forgive. And you'll always have an answer for someone when they're in pain. That tends to be the style of a shame narrative. That is not the narrative that we are to live under. We are to live broken, vulnerable, and free. And if we are doing that, we will be present with others. We will let things go. We will spend more time seeing the Lord in others. We will see people as gifts. We will be open, soft, and curious. We will delight in showing our vulnerability. We'll be approachable. We'll be slow to give input. And we'll be transparent and weak. I long to live in that humble, vulnerable, 
broken awareness of my own mess because that's the sort of person I want to be with. And if we as a community can take step by step by step to walk out of the dominant shame narrative that seems to hold a lot of us in chains and walk into freedom, what a truly beautiful witness that would be to ourselves <clears throat> and to others. Our capacity to destroy each other is equally measured by our capacity to heal one another. And restoring community and relationships is essential to walking out of a shame story. And so this morning, I guess as we, as we come to an end and we come to the table where the start of our relationship with the Lord begins, I want us to think about where we are in this story. What is our leprosy? And, and if you don't, what is our leprosy? How are we going to help one another to move forward? How are we going to move forward? How are we going to walk out of shame and, and walk towards the one who touches out and reaches us and calls us the beloved? That is where I want us to go this morning. I have a lot more to say, but our time is done, so I'll leave it. I want to end with this. Um, our Thomas is 22, and, and when he started school, he, he just couldn't be doing it. Couldn't do it, hated it. And every day, for the first about 10 days, I would peel him off my, peel him off my arms and I'd hand him to the teacher screaming and it was really not pleasant, it was desperate. And um, about 10 days in, when we were all totally exhausted with the process every morning, not getting any easier, and I picked him up at lunchtime and his adorable teacher came out and she said, Mrs. Wilson, we've had a breakthrough. I said, oh, wow, what happened? And she said, Tom, at the age of four, he walked up quietly to her desk. He didn't cry all morning, but he, he made quite the scene. He walked up to her desk, and he just leant towards her and went, hug. And she said, oh, do you want a hug? I went, yes. And she ignored all the safeguarding guidelines and hugged him. And from that day on, he went into school happily every day. And we still talk about the legend that was Mrs. Savage in our house because she transformed his day. And I thought about that and I thought about touch. And I, I remembered that story of Mrs. Savage this morning and I thought there's something very beautiful that Jesus did in that moment. He touched that man. He leant forward, he ignored all the rules, and he cleansed him, and he healed him. And we've been living in a world where nobody's got to hug anybody. And I thought this morning, I, I want us to stand now, and the band are going to come. And we're going to sing, and we're going to come to the table. But I would like us to focus that idea and think, round your tables, whoever you're with this morning, do you need a hug? And if you don't, I want to talk to you about why you don't, because you do. <laughs> You're going to be psychologically better if you do. But let's stand. I want us to think, and I, I'm going to invite the Spirit to come. And as we worship, we're not going to rush away this morning. We're, we're going to take our time. 
want to say that if shame is your story this morning, it is not your story. It is so not your story. And if you can take a step forward towards the table, towards someone who is with you, that is the start of dealing with shame. I want to say that if you're grieving this morning, you are not alone. You are surrounded by a community who love you and want to walk with you. And you will never, ever be alone as long as you're in this community. And I want to say that if you're hopeful and happy this morning, share it. Share it. Hand it round. Because we're all desperate for a connection. We're desperate for someone to remind us that we are deeply loved. And so let's sing for a while and I'm going to pray. And I genuinely encourage you to reach out and at the very least touch each other while we pray. But I'd really love some hugs. I'll be wanting some at the end. So let's pray. Father, we come and we, we, see, we see that image of the Lord and the man with leprosy that no one touched. And we see him reach out his hand. And in that beautiful act, he is instantly healed and restored. And Father, we come with gratitude and we say thank you. And Father, as we open up our hands and we humbly stand together as community, We say as we reach to one another, we are reaching to you. Let the shalom of heaven touch earth this morning in this building and with one another. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your blood and your body that was broken and shed for us to invite us in that we are no longer unclean, that we no longer carry shame that we can live free and loved as the beloved who gave the ultimate sacrifice and gave of himself. So Father, we come and we say thank you. We say come and have your way amongst us. And as we reach out to each other and to you, may you do what only you can do. Come by your spirit, Lord, now move amongst us and bring touches of healing from one another and from you, from the throne of grace. So let's worship. Let's love one another well and let's come and take communion.